welcome to risk roundup the long established rigid boundaries of nations its government industries organizations and academia in short referred to as ngioa seems to be tumbling as digitization is rewriting the rules of competition and collaboration with the tumbling boundaries the digital disruption is on its way to reshaping the global systems faster than perhaps any force in the entire human history this is mainly due to advances in technologies like blockchain the promise and potential of blockchain technology seems to have energized individuals and entities across ngioa the simple reason behind this is perhaps because blockchain technology shows us how to effectively transition to a digital global age as the blockchain technology redefines and reconfigures the global ngioa infrastructure and systems across cyberspace geospace and space in short referred to as cgs it is beginning to envisage how the global systems would look in a digital global age when entities across ngioa acknowledges blockchain technology as one of the most disruptive innovations since the dawn of the internet it is important to understand and evaluate what kind of transformation is imminent as the blockchain technology begins to get tested developed and applied extensively across nations to discuss this further i'm delighted to welcome ron kuranta to risk roundup ron is the chairman of wall street blockchain alliance and is based in united states welcome ron we are delighted to have you on risk roundup thank you for having me it's a pleasure wonderful ron so while much of the blockchain development activities are undisclosed based on what is publicly known how is this new wave of digital disruption challenging every entity across ngioa to think about these new drivers of value creation it's a good question and much of what i've been doing in my career um coming out of financial markets has been very focused on how markets work how um the transfer of value is engaged across global markets and across borders and um between international participants and i can tell you that in the conversations that we have the dialogue about blockchain technology is really driving the global financial industry global borders governmental agencies to revisit how they do what they do how they engage the transfer of value and to look at what i often call the frictions within the system and and how we transfer money how we um engage in intergovernmental transactions how we manage data sets Uh, over time is um relatively inefficient in many regards and so what blockchain's allowing us to do from both a privacy perspective from a what you might call immutability of data perspective um is giving us the opportunity to revisit how those transactions happen how intergovernmental relationships happen how financial transfers happen and see where they can be made better over time Yes, yes no that is a very good background you gave very, very good understanding of where we need to focus on and it seems that the concept of blockchain technology allows everyone across ngio that means nations its government industries organizations and academia to hold and make transaction as strangers but in a completely transparent manner without any human mediator now isn't this against the very fabric of the current system across nations because at this point if you see across any sector across any industry or a government everything you know 
is not transparent. To not be transparent is probably the focus when you look at the current systems. And now where we are trying to reach using the blockchain technology, it is entirely against the very fabric of our current systems. How are we going to reach there? Yeah, it's an interesting proposition. When we look at the fundamental reason for blockchain technology, and if we remember that blockchain originally comes from um, digital currencies, um, the goal is to allow transactions between um, counterparties without necessarily trusting that counterparty. It's often called a trustless system. And as you rightly mentioned, most of um, NGO interactions, most governmental interactions, certainly financial markets interactions, have always been structured with an intermediary in mind, always been structured with someone to, or some organization to manage counterparty risk, for example. And so what you're looking at is a fundamental revisit to that system. And that's caused a couple of interesting things to happen in the blockchain space. Blockchain started as a distributed, decentralized system, um, fully public. What's happening, uh, if I could speak to financial markets specifically and, and uh, the things that even governmental agencies are looking at internationally, um, you're looking at things like private blockchains, which are trying in some measure to address the challenges of uh, and, and the benefits of not having an intermediary with the protections required uh, in certain aspects of, again, governmental agency interactions or financial transactions. So we're trying over time to blend the best benefits of blockchain and distributed ledger technology with the how we do business in the world aspects of things like privacy and um, inter intermediary control and governmental oversight. And it's, a, it's, it's what we often call at the WSBA a long tail conversation. There's not going, I often say this, there's not going to be a big bang where you and I wake up one day and everything is on a fully decentralized public blockchain. It will take years to evolve into that and we're going to start seeing some really innovative solutions that combine the best of both worlds. Yes, very true. It is going to take years. You are absolutely right about, right about that. Now, blockchain is revolutionary, as you know, you suggest, and it seems to upset all aspects of the traditional financial services sector. From if you look at you know standard accounting habits to lending practices, everything. Now, blockchain, as you suggested, provides its own distributed, transparent record keeping and the real-time trust that it also provides a real-time trust to all the participants and balances the information flow between either lenders and borrowers or senders and receivers. Now, all these, it, it happens, it reduces the need for intermediaries because of its shared and trusted environment. However, blockchain needs collaboration to succeed. Collaboration and cooperation are not in the very fabric of nations. How will that be overcome? Because if we are trying to build a global financial system or, you know, the global currency, uh, digital currency that we are trying to develop or any kind of, you know, system that we are develop that would be, that could be used across nations. Yeah. Then, you know, it requires collaboration and cooperation. And we don't see that coming very easily with the current, you know, trust environment across nations. So this, how will we, overcome these kind of challenges if you want to you know go towards digital globalization and build this kind of uh, systems yes it's a, it's a really interesting question an interesting proposition and and i would answer it in a couple of ways there there are, there are a couple of different um 
initiatives that are happening, what I would call globally, that might help inform how that proceeds. So one of the things that's begun to happen in um, all regions of the globe, particularly here in the US, but in uh, Asia Pacific region as well, is the growth of consortia. So what's happening is that industry participants um, are coming together to try to set standards, to try to understand how that interoperability and interconnectivity might work in a distributed ledger world. And the other thing I would add to that is transnational or international governmental organizations have begun to deeply look at how blockchain can be beneficial and disruptive. So uh, even beyond financial markets, the United Nations, for example, the World Economic Forum, the um, the International Monetary Fund, all transnational organizations looking at the best possible implementations of blockchain technology. And I think what you'll find over time, it'll evolve in many ways the way the internet evolved. Um, and, and I know that's an overused analogy for a lot of people, but in the beginning, um, the internet had certain camps of different types of, inter of different types of functionality some of which did not easily interoperate. It was a network of networks and continues to be, but it evolved over time into what I call a universal platform. And I think what you begin to see, depending on economic sector, depending on use case, depending on transnational organization, the emergence of these kind of international platforms of blockchain interaction. And I think that'll be part of the foundation of how blockchain will seep into um, intergovernmental transactions, financial markets, and even beyond. It's not just a financial markets conversation. It's a, uh, a broad economic development technology innovation conversation. Yes, absolutely. It is a broad economic uh, uh, coalition that is also developing, as we suggested, and it's a broad economic development that could be happening. But before we go there, we have to solve many critical issues like how to develop a uh, roadmap to achieve the collaboration and standardized regulation, how to structure a regulated tax framework or how to implement the cost benefit analysis. There are a lot of, you know, different issues that we need to overcome. But it's also reported according to World Economic Forum that you were just talking about that there are more than 24 countries and uh, probably close to 100 corporations that have started using blockchain technology. And there are many, many more that are showing a lot of interest in using blockchain technology. But Blockchain technology is essentially a secure, distributed, and shared database. So um, based on your experience, yeah. what are some of the prominent use cases of blockchain technology that is seen across nations and across corporations that are, that are already using the blockchain technology? Yep. It's, and let me start by speaking about the, um, the sector that I and the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance focus on, which is broadly international financial markets. And we're seeing multiple use cases and I suspect in 2017, several of those will um, come into what we call production. Um, you're looking at things like clearing and settlement of transactions. You're looking at things like the custody ship of securities. You're looking at, in financial markets parlance, um, the OTC or friction-filled areas. Uh, and you might have seen there's things like syndicated loans, things that are important financial components for global corporate interactions and global corporate treasury operations, for example, but still done very inefficiently, faxes and very paper bound. Um, those are beginning to uh, really accept and adopt blockchain technology early days, but uh, adopt, uh, adopt a new model using blockchain technology, trade finance um, and supply chain management, for example, 
are beginning to now percolate as some of the most important of the use cases, how our um, international export and import transactions are handled. And beyond financial markets, government and intergovernmental agencies are looking at things like, for example, how do you help refugees around the world who, who lack economic identity? And there are several startups, and I'm privileged to advise a couple of them, that focus on global economic identity as a blockchain solution for the millions of refugees and the, the billions of impoverished people around the world. And international agencies, uh, particularly the UN, are focused on leveraging technology to do that. Beyond that, you're even looking at the global healthcare industry, focused on leveraging blockchain for things like adverse reaction reporting, for things like disease monitoring. Um, I was reading a report earlier on that talked about uh, the Zika virus, for example. And when you look at how healthcare is managed both nationally and internationally, if we can leverage blockchain to share the data associated with these types of health concerns globally, that goes a long way to making healthcare a globally more efficient capability both for nations and internationally. So there's so many use cases where blockchain becomes relevant over time. And those are conversations we have on a regular basis. Yes, no, that is, that is really good information. Now, talking about identity management, how will blockchain-based redefining of identity management reshape the business processes? Because this, it, is, it has a broad interconnected implications yeah. of this identity management. Where do you see this... Uh, um, redefining and reshaping of the business processes because of the new mode of identity management. Yeah, if you look at the, the requirements of identity management globally, um, and if we interpose that over the financial markets, it kind of comes back to the fundamental concerns around privacy. Uh, here in, in financial markets, what we call KYC or AML, for example. So if you look at immutable blockchain capabilities as a way to register and monitor um, identity so that you and I own immutably our own data. What does that do for compliance? What does that do for regulatory compliance, for example, in a world where many of the regulations in the United States for focusing on financial markets in particular are focused on maintaining both that privacy as well as the validity of individual identity data. Basically, banks need to know who they're doing business with for anti-money laundering requirements, terrorism reporting requirements. In a blockchain world, the cost profile to do that becomes much less. And so now you begin to see this, what I often call this virtuous circle of, as we incorporate identity, economic identity, as a technological capability that's easy to maintain and give to people around the world, you start looking at what I sometimes call the cleaning up of marketplaces where knowing your customer and anti-money laundering and identity management become more secure throughout the entirety of the financial markets and beyond. And again, some of those identity management and, and privacy concerns aren't just financial market concerns. They're governmental concerns, they're um, governmental aid concerns, it's healthcare concerns again. So when you begin to look at economic identity, you begin to realize that that's a fundamental, what I call foundational data challenge that blockchain might be able to hopefully address yes very true very true but uh, see the very idea of no central authority as we see in the blockchain model of decentralization the possibilities are limitless but when you look at even within just the financial industry uh, we are not even addressing all the components of a nation just the financial industry there 
you see that not everyone is sold on having a decentralization model. People are excited about the blockchain technology and what we could do with that, but they're not sure if you know having a complete decentralization model is the way to go. People are thinking that there still should be some sort of you know uh, registration uh, requirements should be there or some sort of uh, regulation should be there or some sort of uh, uh, closed environment so that you know not everyone can uh, pick in and try to manipulate the, the system. So there are still everyone is not sold on the very concept of decentralization. Yeah, and it comes back to what we were speaking about a bit earlier. We we don't live in a culture where full decentralization is something we can do. Um, it is a nice ideal to strive for, but it comes back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, um, public versus private blockchains. What is governmental involvement in blockchain capability? Um, so these are all questions that are being addressed now, and, and it's still very early in the game. I suspect over time, what we'll start seeing is what I often call this hybrid model. And, and there are some companies right now looking at um, how do we leverage the privacy associated with information in financial markets, for example, um, and maintain a, an intermediary that um, manages counterparty risk, for example, or is the federal government? Per perfect example is money. The way blockchain was originally arranged, you and I should be able to share value with, with no intermediary whatsoever. When I take out money from my wallet, the intermediary is the United States government. And so what we're looking at is over time, um, a re-evaluation of the public-private relationships, a re-evaluation of what decentralization versus centralization benefits are. Um, and I think over time, we'll start seeing, again, that hybrid model. One example is there's, there are several companies looking at can they leverage private blockchains to register customer asset transfers? But can they, and keep that information private, but can they register some anonymized aspect of that transaction to the public blockchain? And so what you end up having is the best benefits of public, decentralized, open, fully distributed capabilities with the lockbox privacy, for example, that certain transactions required. Um, I think with the evolution of different types of computing power, um, I think with the evolution of different types of technology that might integrate with blockchain, so think AI or machine learning, for example, if we're going to go down the rabbit hole, you'll begin to really see some innovative answers to that original question you posted, which is, how do we operate without central authority? And what I would counter with is, in some instances we may, and in some instances we may, we may not, but blockchain will participate in both. Yes, very true, very true. I, I see your point there. Now, if we talk about the banks, um, this whole blockchain thing started with Bitcoin that was based on blockchain technology. And this digital currency is, and cryptocurrency is exciting pretty much, you know, everyone across nations. Yeah. Uh, but where, where, what are the challenges for banks to reimagine what their industry will look like in five to 10 years? What what is the nature of changes you see that we will see in the next decade? Because I see that a lot of these banks are already working towards blockchain and everyone has some sort of effort. They're all trying to come up with their own uh, digital currency. Everyone has some sort of cryptocurrency. 
and everyone is trying to see how they can reshape and actually you know survive in this digital uh, global age and because of this uh, blockchain or other technologies ai and uh, uh, cloud computing everything that is coming up how they can survive and how the non financial non financial uh, corporations the that are not banks that are already taking up so much of their businesses so there are a lot of complex challenges banks are facing and i mean that where do you see that where do you see the banks going and what kind of changes we will see yeah it's a good question a lot of the conversations that we have with banks and and financial markets participants broadly including the regulators of those marketplaces um are there's this fundamental revisiting of bank functions So banks aren't going away, right? The original kind of idea of well, in a fully decentralized world, we can all be our own bank. Um, that's not happening. Certainly, I don't think in in our lifetimes. But what the technology is having banks do is reevaluate how they do what they do and what's their true value add. And what I can tell you is, based on blockchain technology, what I'll call the very simple toll taking businesses. the very basics of transactional businesses with little value add those businesses are being reinvented and and ultimately some of those businesses will go away um and what banks and other financial institutions will need to do is um redefine and reinforce their value added capabilities what are they doing for corporate customers what are they doing for individuals globally that adds value to the banking function within the economic system i mean banks are part and parcel of the the lifeblood of um commercial funding around the world for example but if that capability and that functionality can be made more efficient and easier and better what does that do to economic activity does it drive economic activity and the velocity of transactions higher which would ultimately be Uh, a rising tide of global financial markets which would be a good thing. So what I would suggest is the long-term roadmap for a lot of banks is uh broken down into this kind of short, intermediate and long-term perspective and I would argue that the long-term perspective for them um very much means they become deeply technology companies. And if you look at some of the technology companies, it's not by accident that many of them are looking to financial markets as their next green field of capabilities. When you look at Amazon and AWS web services and Microsoft and Apple all of these organizations with billions upon billions of dollars of R&D budgets and all of them looking at blockchain in some way are looking to reinvent financial markets as well all of that becomes part of the the global financial markets roadmap Yes, very, very true. And uh, financial industry is the focus. Healthcare industry is the focus. That's where you see all the technology companies targeting. Yep. Now, it is said that distributed ledger technology will form the foundation of next generational financial services infrastructure in conjunction with uh, many, you know, existing and emerging technologies. And as you were suggesting just a few minutes before, that it's not just the blockchain, but the AI, artificial intelligence, and other technologies are also. uh being used for uh, to transform the uh, banks or you know the overall financial industry or you know across uh, industries and nations so based on your experience which technologies are merging with blockchain to transform not only the financial industry but also you know healthcare industry and uh, governments and many other industries yeah i think the the two primary that i see and based on many of the conversations that we have ai and and machine learning are definitely um part and parcel of this global evolution of technological capability and will certainly um 
in some way blend with the distributed ledger and blockchain conversation. Um, interestingly, a lot of my conversations as well um, are very diverse with a lot of different types of industry participants. When we look at things like AR or VR, augmented reality or virtual reality, when you look at that as the basis for um, medical transcription or medical work, uh, healthcare work, when you look at, at that as the basis for new interactions in financial services, then there's this logical bolt-on with blockchain capability. Imagining be, imagine being in an, a virtual reality world where the actual financial traction, transactions are both based on blockchain technology and relevant to your real world. Um, the other thing I would throw out there very interestingly is robotics. Interestingly enough, when we look at Robotics and the automation drive, self-driving cars. There's um, in the medical field, we're looking at basic surgeries being done in the future by robotics. You can imagine the exchange of patient data directly involved, privately controlled by the patients, but interacting with these medical technicians that are based on robotics so that they know they've got the latest, most up-to-date, secure medical records for you and I, for example, before any particular procedure happens. So I think we're going to see what I often call the great convergence of technologies in the future. And it may take decades, may take 100 years, may take longer, but over time, all of these will be complementary capabilities across technologies. Absolutely. Technology super convergence. That's where we are going. <laughs> now, it said that black blockchain, I mean, we have been talking about cryptocurrency and the financial industry and uh, other sectors. But when we look at the stock exchanges, it said the blockchain will is also on its way to disrupt the stock exchange, uh, exchanges. And yeah. it looks like, you know, there are some demonstrations already happening how the exchange of stocks, bonds, and other digital assets, uh, you know, could be done using blockchain technology. Can you share some use cases if you have uh, some uh, information on that? Yeah, I think one of the, the best um, use cases in, in the exchanges world, and I think there are two that I would reference. One very publicly was announced, I want to say, earlier in December of, of 2016, um, was the launch of equities trading on a platform called T0. Uh, T0, uh, and full disclosure, I know several other people who work at T0. It's an organization leveraging blockchain technology for the trading, clearing, and settlement of equities transactions without needing an intermediary, and hence the name T0. There is no lag time between the trade and the settlement. And so what that does from an economic and a financial markets perspective, from an exchange perspective, is it cuts down on counterparty risk. It cuts down on the capital requirements associated with transactions that happen between the trade and the settlement of the trade. And it's looked at um, by proponents as a more efficient model of uh, exchange-based or equity transactions. And it's not by accident that every major exchange um, globally has an innovation group or their technology group looking at blockchain technology. One of the more prominent international examples, um, and I think this was announced in early 2016, perhaps late 2015, um, the Australian Stock Exchange is looking to reinvigorate and reinvent their clearing and settlement system based on blockchain technology, leveraging a blockchain company based here in the United States. So all of the exchanges, we were, we were earlier talking about banks, it's not just banks. All of the exchanges themselves are looking at their business model as intermediaries uh, and reevaluating what that means in the future. You can also take that a step further. Um, a lot of the most important aspects of what the exchanges do is not just transactions, but data. 
selling market data, selling analytics data that are, are the lifeblood of how decisions around trading and investment are made. Um, it's, it's important data, but several aspects of it are very antiquated. Yes. Now we're looking at things like reference data and uh, identity management, and again, from the perspective of data consumption, leveraging blockchain technology. So exchange businesses are evolving. Yes, they are. They are evolving. And uh, uh, this big data is going to play a very critical, very important role in uh, many different uh, ways. And we'll talk about that. Now, briefly, you know, let's talk about the capital markets. It seems that blockchain technology plays an imperative role in capital markets. And uh, this is uh, one such area in financial industry where the experts are optimistic about the use of blockchain technology. Are there any problems or issues that needs to be resolved for using blockchain technology in the capital markets? I think a lot of the problems that we address in the capital markets and we, we speak to capital markets about are part and parcel fundamentally common shared problems. And again, it goes back to something you and I were talking about earlier, identity management, claims management in the insurance industry, which in my mind um, is a prime example of something that needs to be disruptive. There is long, dis, uh, long delays in how claims are processed, for example, in the insurance industry, in this particular example, is very much looking at blockchain technology as a way to, to make that better. So I would argue that across capital markets specifically, it's the same fundamental questions that they need to ask themselves as we referenced earlier. How do we do what we do? What are the most important aspects of what we do? And what needs to improve? Where are the friction points? Where are the reconciliation challenges? Across capital markets and beyond, one of the biggest challenges is that much of the data that is shared between counterparties and capital markets are across a disparate series of databases. And almost every capital markets firm, every bank, every exchange, every healthcare company, if we expand the picture, all have the challenges and costs of reconciliation. So if you look at blockchain as a, a data repository from a transactional basis that is shared, you begin to look at the minimization of reconciliation costs and the minimization of errors. How much across capital markets is spent every year by capital markets firms managing and, and handling error management on the reconciliations process. So again, it's, it's the fundamental questions that need to be asked. And, and I can tell you on a weekly basis, the WSBA has regular conversations with capital market participants about what does their future business look like? Yes, very true, very true. Now, talking about the com uh, commodities market, it seems that there is a platform that has already been developed for moving, converting, transacting, and holding any form of money or commodity. And we already see examples of companies popping up that are backing the cryptocurrency with physical gold. Yeah. And the company connects banks, credit cards, debit cards, and Bitcoin to digital wallets for free financial services and transactions. Yeah. How do you see, where do you see this going? Market. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I, you know, the the idea of digitization of gold, leveraging some kind of digital currency, is not a new idea. That idea has been around for many, many years. You might remember back; uh, it's probably twenty years ago now. E-gold, for example, um, that ran into some fundamental problems, particularly from a regulatory perspective. I think what a lot of these startups are trying to do is um, make the fungibility of hard assets 
easier and easier and less friction filled. And again, the idea from my perspective is um, it, it it's important to go back to core principles, the basics. What are the challenges in the gold market? And if we look at it, it's it's storage costs, it's um, fungibility across different asset classes, it's digitization and transactional counterparty management. And those are all part and parcel of blockchain. Those are, those are fundamental to what blockchain can help um, make more efficient. In the broader commodities markets, which is even more exciting in my perspective, when you look at um, the global impact of the commodities markets across sourcing of commodities, to refining of commodities, to processing of commodities, shipment of commodities, and then the trading of the underlyings, you can imagine what I often argue is provenance, commodity provenance itself. If you can track the life cycle of that over time, that makes all of the stuff you and I were talking about a bit earlier even more important and even more efficient. Where the commodities came from? Are they valid commodities? Are they being monitored properly? Are they being shipped properly? Are they being monetized properly? And are the securities based on them transacting in an efficient distributed ledger way? You begin to see the interconnectivity of global commodity markets. And if we looked at blockchain as that underlying foundation, you're potentially looking at a reimagining of how commodities are both handled, managed, distributed, and traded. Yes, yes, very true. Now, uh, as the technology transforms financial industry, what are your major concerns? Where do you see a need for more effort? Yeah, regulation clearly comes to mind. Um, one of the things we're very heartened about at the WSBA and a lot of our conversations are with regulators um, at, the at the international, um, the federal and state level here in the States. And we're very heartened by their desire to participate or at least not stifle the innovation that blockchain represents. But with that comes the challenge of education. This is a rapidly evolving marketplace. This is a rapidly evolving technology. And educating regulators, even educating other business people, is an ongoing challenge. There's always new information. So regulation and, and the regulations that come out of that education are very important to me. There are some really good groups in Washington, D.C. and in London um, and in Berlin uh, and in Singapore focusing on how do we structure regulation that realizes the benefit of blockchain technology without stifling the innovation that it's meant to represent. So regulation is clearly something that needs clarity. When we look at digital currencies specifically, digital assets, um, regulation and taxation is still a bit lacking. There's still this kind of lack of clarity. And the news recently was um, the Internal Revenue Service request for um, Bitcoin and transactional data from one of the largest uh, digital currency trading platforms in the world, a company based in San Francisco uh, called Coinbase. Um, and there are certain challenges there. How does the IRS, what do they plan to do with that information? How does that affect transactions in a digital currency world? What are regulators like the CFTC going to think about specific types of commodities that leverage digital currencies and blockchain? So that kind of broad regulatory cloud of concern and interest is something that needs to evolve and clarify over time. The other thing I would, I would suggest is a challenge for the marketplace and even beyond financial markets um, is lack of um, pertinent, uh, knowledgeable people in the blockchain space. We're, we're short on resources in many regards. There's a lot of technologists 
who need to understand blockchain at what I'll call the fundamental level. There's there's always a new re-envisioning or different type of blockchain capability um, or blockchain operating system that's coming out on a regular basis. And as it becomes more important for multiple industries, we're already beginning to hear of the shortfall in talent. So one, one of the things we're doing at the WSBA is trying to um, work through a certification framework, both education and placement, getting the right people in technology and operations and product and even business strategy to understand where blockchain fits in. So in my mind, those are the, the immediate, um, what I'll call implementation challenges associated with it. Yes, no, that is a good information uh, that you provided there. Now, let's talk about the use of blockchain in governments. Yep. It seems that Factum has reportedly partnered with the Honduras government on a blockchain program to record land ownership. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are also other public sector uses where vehicle registries and all those things are ha already happening. Yeah. But what, based on your understanding and knowledge, where do you see the changes happening based on the blockchain advances in the, across the governments? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Governments, just like businesses, have... Um, in many regards, legacy systems that are very difficult to manage. And in many instances, those legacy systems are fueled by or powered by paper-based transactions. One of the most interesting examples that I've seen have been uh, land title and registration, like, you're, like you mentioned. Um, you could even take that a step further and look in the New York State, for example, um, looking at mortgage-backed securities or other asset-backed securities Many of the mortgages in the mortgage-backed security, and going back to the, uh, the housing crisis in 2007-2008, are based on paper transactions and paper documentation of mortgages that most people couldn't find if they needed to. Now imagine what happens if you take mortgage-backed securities and the, the title transfer, for example, and put that on a blockchain. How does that, what does that do to the efficiencies associated with home purchasing and sales? What does that do to the efficiency and the efficacy and the immutability of title ownership. And this is not just a, a US-based challenge. This is an international challenge. When you look at the refugee crisis, for example, I was privileged to be uh, advising a startup that was focusing on, um, it came out of Cyprus, for example. And, and in certain countries in Europe, certainly um, many people had to flee their homelands, losing their house. And, and in those instances, when they're able to come home, they don't have any documentation that's immutable to prove that they own that property. So over the course of how many hundreds of years have people lost homeland or lost property simply because title or land ownership couldn't be proven. And in a blockchain world, you can imagine, and again, this goes very much, it ties very much back to economic identity, but you can imagine the minimization of that loss of life and property in an example like that. So I think, I think from a governmental perspective, I think, land and ownership um, vehicles, for example. There was a really interesting, uh, in New York City, um, a request for proposal for the processing of parking tickets on a blockchain because the New York City government, local government realized there's leakage. They're not making the money they could because they can't properly track the vehicles that are potentially out of state but are not paying their fines. And in a blockchain world, not just the collection of those fines, but the ease of collection of those fines, even for people who are getting the tickets, might be better and easier on a blockchain. Now, no one wants to pay the ticket, but if it's as easy for me to pay the ticket on my cell phone as it is to mail a check, 
that's probably not a bad thing. So it goes back to the cores again, the core principles. Where is the friction? What takes the longest? What's the most error prone? Those are the things that local, national, and international organizations are going to need to look at. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And it also requires, see, like right now, the, the current system, they, every, everyone works in silos. Yeah. And the integration is so necessary, just like you talked about, you know, the parking tickets, that if they are out of state, there is no way for the cops to, you know, the courts to get the payments on that because it's very complicated and they are not uh, talking to each other and there is no integration the way it should be so that these kind of processes can be effectively managed. So there are a lot of, you know, in uh, fundamental challenges that needs to be overcome, you know, for these kind of technologies to have the efficient use or the effective use that we all are hoping for. And it seems that the governments around the world are seeing the multiple opportunities to simplify their operations and data processing. And uh, this is, blockchain is definitely a powerful way for governments to get their different organizations having one simple flow of data and infrastructure. But uh, it, it's a, going to be a long process before we we will see these kind of changes. How soon do you think uh, the governments will be able to streamline their governance processes to be able so that blockchain technology can effectively uh, be implemented. Yeah, this is firmly in the, the predictions phase of, of our dialogue, and, and we always we always get into this point. Um, I would argue that private industry, um, financial markets, and healthcare will adopt blockchain technology in some production way first. I think from a governmental perspective, um, there's interest. But there's so much, um, I, I hesitate to use the word bureaucracy, but, but there's bureaucracy. There's, there's overhang and overhead of existing uh, governmental systems that don't easily mesh or integrate with new technology. I think from a, a governmental perspective, that's a much longer term play on the order of decades. Um, it'll seep into different parts of government. Interestingly, I think the developing world has a better chance to leapfrog blockchain implementation than some of the developed world simply because they, in many instances, um, what often was looked at as their impediment or their disadvantage, lack of certain systems, means that they now are not stuck with those particular systems. So you might see land registration in the developing world through governmental entities leveraging blockchain technology happening sooner there than in the United States or in Europe, for example. That would be very interesting to see more growth and more advances happening in the developing world than the developed world. That uh, that would be very interesting to see how this shapes up. But it is also said that end-to-end -end verifiable blockchain-based digital voting system uh, can also be developed. And it seems there are some efforts going on in that direction. Can you share if there are if you have any details on that project? In the in developing world? For, for, yeah, developing world, digital voting systems. Oh, digital voting, blockchain, yeah. Blockchain yeah. Based digital voting systems. Yeah, it's interesting. So this is, uh, it, depending on the government you speak to, um, in the United States, obviously there was this deep concern around um, hacking of, of the election, for example. Um, in other countries, there's the challenge of autocratic rule that doesn't particularly care for um, decentralized, distributed, immutable, immutable voting capabilities. Um, that said, there are several startups looking throughout the developing world about delivering the ability to vote in an immutable and secure way, leveraging blockchain technology. We don't speak to them very often um, simply because so much of the work that they're doing is um, in what I'll call the core of the developing nation, certainly in Africa, 
certainly in some nations in South America, certainly in some nations in the in the Southeast Asia region, are looking to leverage blockchain technology. The challenge becomes national and governmental acceptance. So many are going into some of these developing world uh, nations with the backing or support of some transnational organization like the United Nations or like the World Bank, for example. <clears throat> And again, some of the challenges there are the last mile challenges. How do we find the poorest of the poor in some parts of Africa, for example, um, who should be participating in their government and don't have access to do that? How do we make that capability integrate with existing governmental systems within those nations? So these are all um, not just the last mile challenges of the individual voter, but it's the challenge going back to the regulatory conversation or the, the governmental conversation we were having earlier. It's the challenge of governmental acceptance. And again, in my mind, that's a long tail conversation. I think in the developing, uh, the developed world rather, um, in the United States, in, in uh, Asia, in, in Europe, you'll see some leverage of blockchain capability that I would argue would be tied to economic identity. Voter registration as part of a blockchain initiative, in my mind, is a lower hanging fruit than managing actual vote implementation leveraging blockchain technology. But I suspect you and I will be having this conversation a decade from now regardless. Yes, yes, we would be definitely. Now, let's talk about Internet of Things because there is, uh, it seems blockchain technology is like, it would provide the ideal engine to power this new concept regarding this new connected world because of all the billions of Internet of Things that are, you know, emerging. What is the application of blockchain Internet of Things? Yeah, it's still early days, but if you, you know, look at some of the fundamental examples and, and, you know, like blockchain, if you ask three different people to define Internet of Things, you'll probably get four different definitions of it. Um, but the truth of the matter is um, if we're looking at an interconnected world where not just my computer, but my refrigerator and my phone and my home and my heating system are all tied to a grid that exchanges value, again, going back to core principle of blockchain, you can imagine some really interesting things. And one of the examples we often talk about is, if I'm on vacation and my car is an Internet of Things car tied to a blockchain-based payments route, if my car is not being driven for that week because I'm off to some tropical island, um, why would I pay for insurance for that car for the seven or 10 days that it's not being used? So you can imagine a smart car, internet of things type of capability that says to the insurance company, car is not being used for this day, deduct X. So, you, you know, it's a far-fetched example, but you begin to look at an interconnected world where it's not just payments out, but it's interaction of transaction value back and forth between economic beings. You and I, our homes, our cars, um, and it, it lends itself to some interesting capabilities. Same thing with electricity. What if global, well, nationally, it's easy for me to sell electricity back to the grid again because I'm on that same vacation. Right now, you often hear about that tied to things like solar power, for example, where you sell, it, sell energy back to the grid. What if that happens across the entirety of the energy complex because of IoT and blockchain-based payments? Um, again, far future potentially, but I can tell you that those are all things being looked at right now in the energy complex, in the insurance industry, in the housing market, in the utilities, all the utilities are looking at blockchain as well. 
Yes, absolutely. And those are some very, you know, important points that if you are not using the car, why you should be paying the insurance, you know, for that particular uh, period of time. So those are really, really important questions. And yes, about the electricity that definitely needs to be thought about how it can be used smartly and the smart contracts, I think, you know, comes in the picture. And in this smart contracts, you know, we are seeing also in the legal industry, the law applications of that, because uh, blockchain law applications, smart contracts can verify on the blockchain, allowing programmable, self-executing, self-enforcing contracts. And that is so essential for so many industries. So where do you see these law applications based on blockchain going? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, in November, the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance had our Education Day event for all of our members and friends in the industry. And we had it at the New York Law School, very specifically. Um, and I had published a paper and I deal with several colleagues in the legal industry that focus specifically on smart contracts and what I call the age of machine law. Because a lot of what you're talking about are things that need to be addressed currently. Who writes the covenants associated with a smart contract? How do you invoke or revoke a smart contract capability. And what you're starting to see is, interestingly, the convergence of law and technology. Several law schools are now looking at um, these kind of joint degrees around getting your JD law degree with a computer science degree, specifically focused on um, the smart contract realm. And again, arguably smart contracts won't need a law degree and you won't need to be a computer programmer to invoke a smart contract. But who interprets in a smart contract world, what should be part of a smart contract? Who reviews smart contract clauses? And if we're going to look at full decentralization, for example, how do you get counterparties to agree to the underlying definitions within a smart contract? So there is what I call this evolving or phased approach. We often talk about smart contracts in the syndicated loan space. Um, or the trade finance space, leveraging blockchain, which are relatively free um, standard form contracts, for example, but not every, not every contract is standard form. So what I would argue is you'll start seeing a deeper penetration and, and we're very privileged at the WSBA. Um, a, a member of our board is, is a member of a high profile law firm here in New York, focusing specifically on corporate law and smart contracts and digital currencies. Um, you'll start seeing this kind of integration of law and smart contracts, what it means, who defines, who has um, jurisdiction, who gets to look at specific smart contracts. If again, if we go back to our privacy and our public versus private blockchain conversation, if we're talking about smart contracts, I may not want you to look at my smart contract, but I may need to let the government look at my smart contract. How do we define that? How do we manage that? What are the, the standards and protocols around which that is, is, that is invoked? Um, there are a handful of very, sm very smart um, smart contract startups focusing on financial markets right now, but expanding, that are really looking at all of those questions now. And I think they'll only be able to answer those questions with the legal uh, industry participating. Yes, very true, very true. That is so essential. And I hope that the academia, education institutions, keep up with this, you know, need for new kind of degree programs or new kind of education so that, you know, uh, the future lawyers, future doctors, uh, you know, future engineers, they all have that understanding that is necessary to be effective in a digital global age. And I mean, even if we, when we look at these uh, music applications, the music industry, mm -hmm. there's some significant changes happening because of the, you know, blockchain technology and applying blockchain technology 
to music application is like a pa huge paradigm shift in the way artists or music creators or composers or uh, whoever you know writes songs they all can control their musical work their ownership rights to right. royalty payments and all that so this is a huge change that has come in music industry and it's going to you know just go further and further so i mean there are many many different sectors that we can evaluate from music industry to real estate to uh, notary applications where you know we can probably use blockchain very effectively to supply chain communication proof of provenance to many different uh, uh trade music uh, sectors where or even the gift industries the gift cards that we normally give you know on uh, special occasions it seems that there is a blockchain application for gift cards and there are so many different financial non financial use cases of blockchain you know emerging very rapidly so when what are some very notable or you feel that there are very important non financial use cases of blockchain that are you know being in development or that are already out there that we should our global viewers and listeners should be uh, aware about yeah and it's interesting uh, you know before i answer that one of my concerns at the wsba and the board and i speak about this frequently is um overreach we 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 are we don't want blockchain to become a solution always looking for a problem we want the smart integration and application of blockchain technology in industries that need it. Um, and then to answer to your question, I'll always go back to, I, I honestly believe that healthcare will be one of the biggest of the proponents and users um, of blockchain and distributed ledger capability across the multiple verticals within healthcare. Everything from vaccination records to adverse reaction reporting to drug interaction reporting to even medical device registration, each medical device used has um, is registered essentially to confirm uh, to conform with governmental and international guidelines, um, and but that's all a very friction-filled set of data sitting on different databases and spreadsheets and all across the globe. Imagine a blockchain that secures that data um, beyond healthcare and things like life sciences and genomics. I think you touched on something really interesting in the entertainment and media industry. Um, and it goes beyond just royalty payments, which is relatively friction-filled. Again, there's that, that phrase, um, series of endeavors. Um, but when you look at a world where everyone's becoming a content creator, everyone's creating their own music or written word or video or art, um, and if you look at different types of services that help individuals um, monetize that, you can imagine a, a less friction-filled world for them to create content and sell that content and sell it in ways they might not have thought about before. Imagine if I, heaven forbid, created a song. I can sell that song for a certain amount of money that might leverage blockchain technology. I can sell certain pieces of the music for, for micropayments. So I think anything that ties to micropayments and media very much does that uh, in many regards, to me is a, a long-term important economic value play, and it, it shows individual uh, people, they can almost all become entrepreneurs over time. One of the, the passionate things I care very deeply about is giving people around the world that kind of entrepreneurial opportunity. And I think blockchain and digital currencies and, and the transfer of value associated with that empowers that kind of entrepreneurial growth. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I mean, we see this on YouTube. 
there are so many entrepreneurs so many new kinds of you know uh, videos uh, and uh, audios are available and the same for you know facebook and twitter everyone is uh, now offering that live streaming opportunity so we are going to see many many new innovative kinds of programs or innovative kind of you know news channels and uh, all kinds of you know recordings coming out uh, that should be in some ways monetized and the owners entrepreneurs should benefit from that what they are creating the content that they are creating so this kind of blockchain you know integration with that it would be very effective because there are like going to be millions and millions of entrepreneurs and content creators across nations and they, they all need to benefit from their creativity and that needs to be some sort of you know foundation or some sort of uh, capability and i think blockchain would be able to provide that so that there's an amazing you know the uh, possibilities potential that we see with blockchain and how it can uh, integrate all these different entrepreneurship and uh, innovative capabilities and all these amazing uh, content that is coming from all across nation but let's talk about market forecasting that's really exciting to me when i see so much potential of it and it seems that uh, there is a way to create not only um, there because of this uh, millions of people or millions of blocks uh, or i would say billions of blocks that would be created in the process when we try to integrate all these things we will be able to forecast anything very effectively this collective forecasting power see this these kind of technologies the digital global age and these technologies that makes the digital global age possible it gives us the capability of collective power the collective intelligence yeah and that is the most beautiful thing that we will be able we no longer have to live in silos we no longer have to you know take decisions based on just uh, limited intelligence yeah. this this is a global age gives us collective intelligence and collective market forecasting capabilities where do you see this going what kind of potential what kind of power it gives to decision makers because of this you know collective forecasting capabilities yeah it's interesting it, it i often um you know we folks like you and i often go down the rabbit hole of thought exercises associated with this because there's so much going on and it's always such an interesting conversation in my mind blockchain and distributed ledger capability and digital currencies take what i call big data real time analytics and evolves it to a whole new level so you can imagine to your point about this kind of global interconnectivity um the way we forecast will become a much more real time thing the way we understand what's happening we often talk about and you know today we talk about such a, it's such an interconnected world compared to what it was 20 50 or 100 certainly 100 years ago 20 years from now it's going to be even more connected than people think it is today so what that does is it begins to break down barriers at what i call the human level so you know we're coming full circle to some of the national barriers and boundaries that you mentioned earlier you can imagine distributed organizations where you and I are running a company that has footprinted employees in 20 nations leveraging blockchain capability and leveraging the smartest most capable people across multiple nations simply because we have a secure methodology and platform to exchange knowledge and value and analytics um and so it becomes an exciting series of thought exercises what does the corporation look like what does an entrepreneur what does that mean 
20 years from now when there literally are no borders or limits to how they would do what they do. What's an artist in a world where they can share micro pieces of their art or collaborate with collaborators and partners globally that they would never have had access to before? And again, with the underlying premise that there's value in that exchange of information. They call it the oftentimes the internet of value that will be powered by blockchain. So I, I'm in full agreement with you. I think it's going to redefine what, what it means to be a businesswoman or a businessman. It will redefine what it means to be an educator. What are some of the best aspects of education? And, and we actually have, um, I've been privileged to have a conversation in the education field about edu education tech, leveraging blockchain capability. What if we want our children, for example, to have access to some of the best educators that happen to be thousands of miles away? What's to not help break down that wall and share education and, and vice versa? If some of the best education capabilities in the developed world can be offered to some of those in the developing world, what does that do to their future and their health and economic growth and their families and activities? So in my mind, I often say blockchain and, and, and big data analytics and IoT, these ultimately are human questions. These are questions about how we're going to interact, not just as economic beings, as human beings that can share across an almost borderless, borderless knowledge world. Um, interesting challenges, interesting opportunities, and that's going to evolve and play itself out over many generations in my mind. Absolutely, absolutely. There's the potential and promise is so huge. It, it is uh, fundamentally going to transform the way we, the humans, live you know, across nations and how we as humans can, what we can achieve in the coming years. There, there's so much to talk about. There's so many industries, so many different sectors, so many organizations, and there's so many examples and case studies to talk about, but we don't have that much time. I mean, we this blockchain is also effective in cybersecurity, network security, and in uh, academic applications where you can uh, effectively use to appoint uh, the who has earned the credits, who has taken classes and who has got the degrees. So nobody can manipulate those kind of details. Uh, so there are many things to talk about, but we don't have that much time. We are running out of time. It's already, uh, we have crossed the one hour. So uh, we are going to, this is the last question, Ron. I mean, there's so much to talk about. We won't be able to do justice to each and every sector, but what would you like to share with our global viewers and listeners what Wall Street Blockchain Alliance is about? That's what you are uh, very actively working uh, with this alliance. And uh, if you can share some details for our global viewers and listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that opportunity. As, as chairman of the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, our goal and mandate is to advocate for the implementation uh, of blockchain technology across global financial markets and beyond. And we do this in several different ways. In my mind, uh, one of the things we very much structured is education. We have a certification framework designed to help global financial markets participants and a growing uh, contingent beyond financial markets in the fundamentals of blockchain technology and some of the future integration and application opportunities of blockchain technology. We have a series of working groups that focus on di different economic sectors, including economic identity, including digital currencies, including healthcare now, believe it or not, um, because it's such a pervasive overarching conversation. Uh, and a lot of what we focus on is um, what we often call curated content. Much of what we do is not blockchain 101. What we specifically do is 
give people the tools and the knowledge that they need to live, grow, and, and be part of an economic world over time that leverages blockchain technology. So we've got a lot of great events, a lot of great learning and thought leadership coming out in 2017. Um, we're at, uh, the website is www.wsba.co. Um, and everyone can see all of the events that are going to be posted there as well. 2017, I, I'm often asked about the coming year to make a prediction. I can with confidence tell you that I think 2017 will be the year when we start seeing real production implementation of blockchain capabilities um, in, in several industries. And I'm just very pleased that the WSBA is part of that. Great. Thank you for sharing that details. Uh, and, uh, and I'm sure our global viewers and listeners would uh, take some time out of their busy schedule to look at the website and see what different events, activities are uh, in uh, store for them to, you know, take part in what they can, how they can contribute and how, how they can learn and uh, understand what uh, initiatives are going on. So thank you, Ron, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on blockchain-based applications and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided on blockchain and its applications across NGIO, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia. And even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to innovate mm -hmm. using blockchain and bring the much-needed transformation to bring entities across NGIOA in a digital global age based on the discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Wonderful, Ron. So while blockchain are causing a technology revolution, it is important to evaluate what else is necessary to transition to a digital global age. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, academia, in cyberspace, geospace, and space, and discuss, debate, and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools, and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also of the coming technological superconvergence. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. So security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict. Risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.